Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.53 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the very first day of June 2023. Tick tock next block. This is episode 738 of Bitcoin. And let's do this thing, man. Let's get right into the fray. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Focahontas. Talking about Senator Elizabeth Warren. I told you, I told you last week, where was that thing? Was it uh, 733? Let me see if I've got this right. Uh, Episode 733 is millions worth of Bitcoin to know. Fentanyl. Yeah, there it is. Fentanyl crisis. All right. So the headline was, and I brought it to you last week. Millions worth of Bitcoin and Tether used to pay Chinese companies involved in fentanyl crisis, says Elliptic. And I gave you the article. You knew knew what was going on. And then I said what? Just wait till Elizabeth Warren starts waving that article in the air saying, this is why we need to stop Bitcoin. The only thing that I was wrong about is that it didn't happen immediately. No, no, no. She waited until... Yesterday, we've got this one from Decrypt, written by Mattis Mischler. Crypto is helping fund the fentanyl trade, says Senator Elizabeth Warren. (gasps) Who could have guessed? I guessed. Elizabeth Warren, the United States Senator from Massachusetts, has sounded the alarm on the use of crypto in funding the lethal fentanyl trade, prompting her to call for more stringent regulation of the industry. Quote, This group sold enough precursor drugs in exchange for crypto to produce $540 billion worth of fentanyl pills. That is enough fentanyl to kill nearly 9 billion people. (laughs) It's all paid for by crypto. In quote, Warren said Wednesday during a hearing at the Senate Banking Committee. During the same hearing, Elizabeth Rosenberg, Deputy Secretary of the Treasury, said that fentanyl sellers do indeed accept payments in crypto. Yeah, so so does the drug dealer on the street, dude. Quote, unfortunately, that is a mode that some of these precursor manufacturers and illicit drug organizations have used, you know, the receipt of Bitcoin payments in cryptocurrency wallets, she said. Fentanyl, a synthetic opioid, is a potent substance with a strength of up to 50 times that of heroin and 100 times that of morphine. Warren's alert comes at a critical moment as the United States confronts a steep rise in drug overdose fatalities, which were many of which are associated with synthetic opioids like fentanyl. Yeah, honestly, dude, you can kind of you can kind of thank the uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers for starting the uh, opioid craze. All right. You know, the, the, these other guys, they're just filling in the gaps. You started it. That's the whole point. 
This started with medical doctors in the United States and the rest of the West prescribing this crap, getting people hooked like freaking junkies. And then all of a sudden, they can just buy it on the street. Hey, I don't know, man. We committed the, opio- the opium wars. Well, Britain did. But, you know, it's like now it's payback time. That's what's really going on. But I digress. Warren Drew, upon recent research from Elliptic, which reveals that cryptocurrencies, notably Bitcoin and the stablecoin Tether, are the preferred transaction methods for over 90 Chinese companies that produce fentanyl precursors or the chemicals needed to make the drug. Quote, Crypto is helping fund the fentanyl trade, and we have the power to shut that down, declared Senator Warren. No, you don't. You don't have the power to do, Dick. What are you going to do? Go over to Finland, tell some dude in a cabin out in the woods that he can't use Bitcoin anymore? No, you're not. See, this is what Senator Warren refuses to understand. The fact that she won't even take the time to learn how this stuff works. Instead, just spending that time waving a piece of paper in the air saying, look, it's proof. We've got to shut it down. But you have no method of action. You have no plan. You're just railing against, you're shouting at, you're the old man shouting at the clouds at this point. Just stop yelling at the clouds. That you want to do something about this, then you actually have to go hit the precursor manufacturers or figure out what's going on in Mexico and shut that down. I don't know what you do. The, essentially what this is, is it boils down to personal responsibility. Don't use fentanyl. If you can get away from getting hooked on an opioid then that's up to you. It's not up to Senator Warren. It's not up to the guys in Mexico who are manufacturing this shit. It's not up to the precursor manufacturers in China. They're gonna, I mean, the precursors can be used for any number of things. A precursor is simply like, I could consider a sugar molecule as a precursor for something else. If I take a small, oh, what would I call it? Uh, oh, Damn, what the hell? Ah, God, and I'm a molecular biologist by, by training. I should know this. Um, a protein of about, you know, four units long, you know, four amino acids long. And under high heat conditions, such as that on a frying pan over an open fire, <clears throat> that sugar will covalently bond to those, to that short chain of uh, proteins. Oligo something, what am I? Not oligonucleotide, oligo something. Oligo means basically a few. Okay, that's just like, I guess that's Latin or whatever. Anyway, like, so you have like four amino acids that are connected to each other through covalent bonds, which are the strongest bonds. And then it covalently attaches itself to the sugar. So you have two precursors. You have the sugar molecule, and then you have the short chain of, of amino acids. Those are both, those are precursors. And I can connect that sugar to anything. I can connect the, the short chain of, of amino acids to anything. I, can, I, I need precursors to make almost anything in the chemical world. So when she says precursors, she's not at all being very 
you know, upfront about what precursors are. So now forever and yawn, the people that are untrained in any kind of chemical science will think that precursor means opioid. Oh, it's just so easy for these people to get into your head. Don't let Senator Warren get into your head. First of all, ain't nothing she can do. Yet, can she limit the United States citizens' access to Bitcoin? Yeah. Yeah, she could do that. Is it going to stop me from buying Bitcoin? No. No, it's not. And second of all, I don't think uh, people like Cash App are just going to bend the knee immediately. They might be forced to in the end, but I don't think that they'll go down without swinging. You know, they're not going to go down without a fight. And, but it does look like Reddit may be going down swinging. I I don't know. This one came up yesterday on my radar and it kind of speaks to, well, I'll, I'll get into it. Reddit's API pricing results in a shocking $20 million a year bill for Apollo. This is from Ars Technica written by Ron Amadeo. Reddit is an enormously popular website, but the official design has always needed some reworking. This is even more true for the mobile experience, which didn't have a mobile app until 2016, and even then, not everyone's a fan of it. The site's popularity rose partly thanks to third-party developers. That's the key, third-party developers, filling in the gaps with pre-existing and better mobile apps. Last month, following in the footsteps of Twitter, Reddit suddenly announced that it wanted to charge apps for API access, but how much? Would it pull a Twitter and price everything out of the market? The most popular Reddit app is the iOS app Apollo, which has been running for eight years. Millions of downloads. Christian Selig, Apollo's developer, has been in meetings with Reddit regarding regarding the cost of the API, and it sounds like the company is using a recent Twitter tactic. Selig says 50 million requests cost $12,000 a figure far more than I could have ever imagined. Twitter, for the record, is charging $42,000 for 50 million tweets. Selig cites the photo site Imgur, or Imager, depending on how you want to pronounce it, as a more reasonable pricing scheme. Quote, I pay Imgur site, similar to Reddit in user base and media, uh, $166, $166 for the same 50 million API calls. Selig estimates it would cost 20 million a year to keep Apollo running. All right, so what's an API? There's a little bit more to this, but it's just more detailed stuff and we don't need to know it. An API basically means that I, would, I have access to the fire hose that is Twitter or the fire hose that is Reddit. So when you think about it, you've got all these users using a platform and they're all inputting data. They're either making a tweet or they're making a, putting a post up on Reddit. And every single time that that post goes to Reddit, that enters into the fire hose. If you have API access, then you have access to every single thing that's in that fire hose. And that's how you make an, a third party application work. Like that's how TweetDeck, before they got bought out by Twitter, they used Twitter's API so that they were able to get all, like 100% of all tweets coming and going. That's the API. Reddit wants $20 million. So they used to be free and Twitter used to be free too. I used the Twitter's API access to map my social media use on, on Twitter. I used to, who, who am I talking to the most? You know, I had 
uh, I can't remember the name of it because I haven't used it in so damn long because we lost Twitter API access. Uh, but I used to map all that stuff out using the API access from Twitter, which was free, but now it's not. And Reddit's going down the same path. What do you think that, what do you think that means? There's two things that that means. One, the rest of them are going to do it. All right. Whatever, whatever centralized walled garden platform you can think of, they're going to go down this route. Kiss API access goodbye unless you are filthy rich, which is going to do what? It's going to even further wall in the walled gardens. And two. Number two. I put out a note on Noster. <clears throat> And it says the following, and I link to the actual post that Selig made on Reddit. And I won't read that post, but because we've already gone through the meat and potatoes. But what I wrote was that this is what's known as the terminal funding round, aka a series F for we're fucked because VC funding dried up like a pond in the Sahara. That's what happened. All of these people that were sucking on the teat of whatever, whatever subsidy, whatever VC funding round, whatever, wherever it was that they were getting all this money, which is all dried up because the money printer is not going burr right now. Although just wait, it will, but not in the way that it was with VC. A VC in the tech world has come to a screeching halt. And the only way the rest of the field that depended on that money can survive is to not only charge for their API and a couple of other things, but to charge this much. That's how much money these guys were running through every year. This is your first signal as to just how much cash was being burned at the stake like a witch. This changes the entire landscape of everything that you're going to see. We have crossed over into what's known as a sea change. When like a cruise ship crosses from the Atlantic over into, I don't know, the Indian Ocean or whatever, there's a sea change and you can feel it. If you cannot feel this change, you're either asleep in your cabin or you're hammered at the bar. But let's move on because we've got other fish to fry. Does the US United States have a crypto tax loophole problem? I don't know. Let's find out. Andrew Singer, Cointelegraph. The crypto sector appears to have dodged another bullet. At the time of publication, the United States has reached a political agreement to raise its debt ceiling, avoiding a calamitous default on its obligations. And this resolution probably won't include any new taxes on cryptocurrencies. Oh, yay. But that doesn't mean the question of U.S. crypto taxation is settled. The debate is likely to continue and may be transformed into something more partisan than previously assumed. To recap... On May the 21st, at the Group of Seven Summit in Hiroshima, Japan, U.S. President Joseph Biden spoke out against a debt ceiling deal with Republican lawmakers that would protect crypto assets. The protection the president referenced was tax loss harvesting, a tax minimization strategy legal in the United States, but viewed by many as a loophole. However, it was the phrasing of the president's remarks as much as their content that drew attention. Biden said, quote, and I'm not going to agree to a deal that protects wealth 
wealthy tax cheats and crypto traders while putting food assistance at risk for nearly a hundred, excuse me, nearly one million Americans, end quote. It's not every day that a U.S. president speaks out about cryptocurrencies, let alone from a high-level international conclave, so Biden's choice of words may be worth examining. He seemed to equate crypto traders with wealthy tax cheats. If so, it might suggest that crypto support may now be breaking more along Democrat-Republican lines than was earlier presumed. This also raises the questions, is tax loss harvesting with cryptocurrencies a loophole in the tax system that should be closed? Would investors or traders even miss it if it was eliminated? On a more political level, was it surprising to hear a U.S. president grouping crypto traders with wealthy tax cheats in a single phrase? One has heard many claims recently that crypto and blockchain have no party affiliation in the United States with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle favoring crypto reform legislation. Tax loss harvesting is an important tool for cryptocurrency investors for two key reasons, Nathan Goldman, associate professor at North Carolina State University's Poole College of Management told Cointelegraph. First, cryptocurrency prices are more volatile than traditional securities like equities. For example, General Electric's stock traded at $74 at the end of 2021 and $66 at the end of 2022. During the same period, Bitcoin tumbled from around 47,000 to nearly 16,000, Goldman noted, quote, Given the dramatic ups and downs, there is simple, there is ample opportunity for investors to sell during the down periods, creating a tax loss that can be used to offset another gain, also known as tax loss harvesting, end quote. The second reason for the strategy's popularity with crypto investors is that it isn't subject to wash sale rules. With most securities, tax loss harvesting carries the penalty that the taxpayer cannot repurchase the security for 30 days, often referred to as wash sale rules, explained Goldman. During that time, the stock might increase in value, which the investor would not recognize. Quote, however, cryptocurrency does not have those rules. This rule, or lack thereof, has a lot of important tax considerations, and thus many investors are likely making use of it, said Goldman. Quote, it is definitely an issue, as there is some empirical evidence that crypto investors engage in this strategy, Omar Marian, professor of the, at the University of California Irvine School of Law, told Cointelegraph, quote, The president's 2024 budget proposal estimates that closing this loophole will bring in about $24 billion over 10 years. <laughs> Jesus. Which is not insignificant. Yeah, it kind of is, dude. According to a March 2023 White House statement explaining the administration's 2024 budget proposal, quote, the budget saves $24 billion by eliminating a special tax subsidy on cryptocurrency and certain other transactions. Right now, crypto investors aren't subject to the same rules of the road that investors in stocks and other securities have to follow. The budget eliminates this tax subsidy for cryptocurrencies by modernizing the tax code's anti-abuse rules to apply to crypto assets just like they apply to stocks and other securities. However, not everyone agrees with tax loss harvesting, that tax loss harvesting is rampant or will add much to the government coffers if the loophole is closed. Wasn't it surprising that the United States president publicly linked crypto traders with wealthy tax cheats in a single sentence and at a meeting of G7 leaders, no less? <laughs> Quote, personally, I would not call someone who engages in legal tax planning a tax cheat even if I do not like their behavior, said Marion. 
then too, maybe Biden's remarks were taken out of context. He may have been talking about two loopholes being closed. One was the wash rule for crypto and the other is the like kind exchanges for real estate investors, said Goldman, though both align with wealthy investors. <laughs> so is more regulatory clarity needed in the United States, especially if the country hopes to attract institutional investors whose participation might make cryptocurrencies less volatile? Quote, there's a big hope that institutional adoption is moving forward, said Grant Thornton's Veith. Wow, man, whatever. Quote, but with what the industry perceives as a lack of clarity, I don't see that necessarily going up. Quote, more guidance is needed, added Goldman, and cryptocurrencies need to be defined and treated similarly across all financial sectors like taxes, financial reporting, etc. Marion agreed, but only up to a point. Quote, I do believe there are important areas in which guidance on crypto taxation is needed, end quote. But the claims of uncertainty and lack of guidance are exaggerated in this view, quote, for most transactions that most taxpayers engage in, there are relatively clear answers in the law. People simply don't like these answers, end quote. Nor is the U.S. necessarily the only country that continues to struggle with crypto and taxes, quote, I think all countries are in the process of figuring out the right tax framework for digital assets, Cointracker's Shandesquera stated. The final debt ceiling legislation resulting from weeks of negotiations published on May the 28th as the Fiscal Responsibility Act of 2023 still needs to pass. Well, okay, so this is a little late. It has passed, or at least that's what the news is saying, but God only knows what really happened behind the scenes. Quote, yes, one of the victories is blocking proposed taxes, tweeted Republican Representative Warren Davidson of Ohio, crypto lives to fight another day. So it wasn't actually put in there. It didn't make it. So what they're saying here is that they're coming after crypto on the tax front. They're going to come after crypto on everything, on-ramp, off-ramp, taxes, tax loopholes, you name it. It's it's, It's a wide open field for the regulators and people like Senator Warren. Okay, it's just, it just is. It is what it is. That's why I always say that there's only two things that are true in life, and that's death and taxes. You will die, and you will have to pay taxes. God knows I paid a massive tax bill this year, and it freaking hurt, but it is what it is. Uh, hold on. Coffee. I need my poison bean juice. <clears throat> It's not going to go away. And for, you know, for all the people that think, well, okay, then I'll trade, I'll, I'll figure out some, some way to trade offshore, get cash and somehow or another have access to that cash. And that's the problem with fiat and, and the whole off ramp thing. You sell your Bitcoin, you get cash for it, dude, the, you, you would actually literally have to get paper bills for that not to have been registered somewhere in the system. So be very careful as we start moving forward with all of this, okay? Because this shit ain't going to go away. Now, announcement from BTC Pay Server. This is out of No Bullshit Bitcoin. BTC Pay Server version 1.10.0 Form Builder UI, Custom Roles, and Lurking Wife Mode. Again, this is No Bullshit Bitcoin. You can get to them at nobsbitcoin.com. All right, so what's in this thing? Quote, 
We are introducing the highly anticipated major release of BTC Pay Server version 1.10.0. It comes with new form builder drag and drop UI. We're introducing a drag and drop form builder user interface enabling you to design customizable forms to your liking. Think invoices with your logo on it. This is cool as shit, dude. Custom role system. This upgrade empowers you to tailor roles to your exact needs, granting your staff access to specific permissions within your store. So let's say you got three people. You have administrative access. You get to see it all. You got one guy over here who is only responsible for sales. So that's all he gets to access. He doesn't actually see the, the back end numbers or possibly even the front end numbers. And then you got your accountant over here. They don't get a chance to jack with what's going on in the store. All they get is the numbers, back end, front end. They see everything you see, or they see what you see on that front, but they can't see the what items are going up on the store. That's just an example. Ability to hide sensitive information. The new privacy enhancing feature within your account settings will allow you to conveniently hide such information from private uh, from prying eyes. I guess that's the lurking wife mode. Improved invoice filtering. We rehauled the invoice filtering and now you can set proper filters and find those invoices you specifically were looking for. And apparently a plugin update, LN Bank version 1.6, Noster plugin, sweet, auto forward payments. Okay, so Noster is now being considered directly in BTC Pay Server. If you are a BTC Pay Server, you may want to look into version 1.10.0. You might want to give it a little burn-in period for testing for the brave souls that want to just go ahead and upgrade. Um, Otherwise, uh, just, you know, jump in and, and go get that shit. Cause I don't even, I wish that they had gone into how they're integrating Noster. That sounds exciting, but I, I, this just doesn't give me any meat and potatoes on it. Okay. Wallets. Should they have rights? Bitcoin magazine, Artem Afayan has this opinion piece. I want to draw your attention to the fact that Bitcoin transactions ultimately occur between wallets. There are humans behind wallets, but this connection is not really what's important. The pseudonymity of Bitcoin is thanks to the fact that there is no direct connection between the wallet and the person who owns it. It is what distinguishes a Bitcoin wallet from any other financial instrument. No matter how much regulators try to change this, the core of the technology remains the same. You might want to listen up, Senator Warren. What does this mean? It means that soon wallets will be recognized as entities deserving of legal rights. First, humanity began to recognize animal rights. Now there is talk about legal rights of a robot. Soon the rights of a Bitcoin wallet will come into the fray. When one talks about the rights of robots, they usually refer to some imitation human or of human will, sorry, let me do that again. When one talks about the rights of robots, they usually refer to some imitation of human will that is deserving of legal recognition. We understand that a robot does not have a soul in the same way that a human does, but at the same time, it performs rather complex actions, which gives rise to legal consequences. For many of us, a robot or a Bitcoin wallet is something inanimate and devoid of a soul, and perhaps therefore undeserving of legal protections, but we recognize the rights of companies and corporations, and of course, it is 
difficult to imagine more soulless forms than those. It turns out that the subjects of law can be inanimate. So what is the difference between a Bitcoin wallet and a legal entity? A legal entity is simply a set of files in a specific registry. Lawyers even have a theory of the, quote, fiction of a legal entity, end quote. We will calmly confirm that the legal entity is an American corporation. We can quickly check this. But how to check that a legal entity was created, say, under the laws of a country of uh, Swaziland? Even if I show you documents that prove it, they are unlikely to tell you anything. So if I tell you that you are dealing with a foreign company, you most probably just have to believe it. Nevertheless, this legal entity displayed as it is only on paper has some rights. So the Bitcoin wallet that exists in is even more tangible than many legally protected entities. And therefore, one more conclusion. Since legal entities have rights, then a wallet may have rights. Just like legal entities, wallets perform transactions. And just like legal entities, wallets can change their owners. This fact never changes. If robots or legal entities are deserving of legal rights, so too are Bitcoin wallets. I think Bitcoin is an exciting new space and that we still have a lot to explore. Yeah, no kidding, dude. Now, my idea that Bitcoin wallets will inevitably receive legal rights of their own may seem crazy, but many more discoveries await us. I honestly kind of think he's right. Now, the, the whole thing is, will they be granted, I don't know, citizenry? Because that, was it the first, was uh, the Citizen One Act? I can't remember what it was. It, it gave corporations the right of a citizen in the United States, which meant free speech. And that all came from the fact that these huge, massive corporations wanted to be able to, you know, don't, I guess, donate to uh, like presidential campaigns, senatorial campaigns, you know, political campaigns in general. And it wasn't until this, ugh, I can't remember the name of the act. I think it was one citizen or something like that. It bestowed upon corporations like Exxon or whatever, GM, uh, the right of a citizen of the United States, which meant that they have full access to the Bill of Rights and the Constitution of the United States. All right. They did it for them. We are thinking about doing it for robots. That's been talked about for decades. And now you got AI coming up. I guarantee you it's going to be considered, it's, that will be considered as well for legal rights for an AI. Just because you have a robot doesn't necessarily mean anything other than the fact that it's probably driven by some intelligence. So even if you have an quote unquote unintelligence, it's not really intelligence. Machine learning is more like it. And it doesn't have a body per se that can move around autonomously. They'll, it'll still be considered for some kind of legal rights. Why not a Bitcoin wallet? I, he's, he's not wrong about any of this. The only thing that we have to conjecture about is Will they or won't they grant Bitcoin wallets legal citizenship in different countries? That's going to be a long row to hoe. And I'm not sure if it would even be worth it, honestly. I'm not sure what we would gain out of legal citizenship for my wallet. But I'm not a lawyer. So therefore, I can't, I don't normally think that way. Now, this one from Coindesk, Christian Sandor. Bitcoin crypto prices brace for downturn incoming liquidity shock, observers say. Okay, so what's going on with liquidity now? 
Crypto markets are bracing for a downturn as liquidity tightening resumes after the United States debt ceiling is lifted, observers say. The replenishment of the U.S. Treasury general account and the Federal Reserve winding down its balance sheet will remove hundreds of billions of dollars from the financial system weighing on cryptocurrency prices in the coming months. Thawing liquidity conditions earlier this year helped lift the price of risk assets, including equities and digital assets. The market-wide crypto rally propelled Bitcoin, the largest cryptocurrency, to as high as 31000 before turning into a meme coin speculative frenzy reminiscent of the sugar rush near bull market tops. The trend, however, is set to turn once U.S. lawmakers approve raising the government's ability to issue brand new debt, putting pressure on risky investments. First, the U.S. Treasury will have to refill its almost completely depleted Treasury General account, which means replenishing some $500 billion, with a B, dollars of cash from the financial system. Quote, This is likely to especially hit risk assets as they tend to be more sensitive to liquidity conditions than safer plays such as bonds and many groups of equities, macro analyst Noel Arkson said. Quote, the Treasury drawing down its account at the Fed was one of the tailwinds for the market earlier this year as money that would normally just sit there was put into the economy in the form of government expenditures. Now, the reverse is likely to happen. The government needs to replenish that account balance by issuing debt, which will draw liquidity out of the market and back into the Treasury's account, end quote. Refilling the general account coincides with the Fed continuing its quantitative tightening campaign briefly interrupted in March due to the regional banking crisis to reduce its bloated balance sheet from propping up the economy during the pandemic. Macro analyst Lynn Alden called this a negative double whammy for liquidity in a market report, quote, The attractiveness of many large liquidity-driven equities is lackluster for the next few months unless or until we get more clarity on forward liquidity conditions, Alden said. Quote, this is an environment where an investor should know what they own, be prepared for volatility, and avoid excessive leverage. Pausing to say leverage will kill you anywhere. Don't do it. Please, for the love of God, stop with the leverage crap. It's really, it's kind of over for right now anyway. Continuing, the debt ceiling resolution bill will also contribute to the negative impact on liquidity, according to Tom Dunleavy, founder of Dunleavy Investment Research. Some key points of the deal, such as curbing non-defense funding, clawing back unspent pandemic relief funds, and resuming student loan payments will constrain the available money left for consumers to invest, he explained in a tweet, quote, liquidity is going to be very net negative, Dunleavy said. Okay. The House of the U.S. House of Representatives is poised to vote. They did on Wednesday evening, and it looks like it passed. Tightening liquidity conditions, decreasing probability of the Fed cutting interest rates this year, and the present trading environment with depressed volatility and volumes make crypto markets ripe for shock, institutional trading platform Falcon X wrote in a newsletter. Quote, this macro scenario makes me believe we could be in a, quote, calm before the storm moment for crypto, David Lawant, head of research at Falcon X, said. So these are the things to watch. As they draw liquidity out of the system to refill the coffers of the United States General Treasury, cash is going to be tight. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it will definitely be tight for... Well, the big boys, 
institutions, stuff like that. Personally, I'm kind of over the institutions buying Bitcoin because all they do is get their panties in a snit every single time somebody at the Fed says anything and then they immediately market sell everything that they have. I'm, I'm over it. I would rather plebs have everything <laughs> because we don't, we don't experience shocks like that. We live in a different world. They're, they're chained to theirs mentally at least, or at least our hopes have been unchained to the legacy financial system. So therefore we don't act that way. The institutions do, the banks do, all these guys, they, they are never going to change. They don't know how to act any, any differently. The only institutions that act differently is stuff like unchained capital, which isn't really an institution. I get it. I mean, there's still everybody in this in Bitcoin space is small potatoes, but like Swan, River, Unchained Capital, any you know, Cash App. We Cash App was the most likely to act in a legacy situation or act in a in a legacy manner. But purely Bitcoin companies don't act that way. The shitcoin companies do for sure because they're trying to drag legacy into the Bitcoin world, and they do that through their issuance of shitcoins, and then all of a sudden they wonder why nothing is different in their world. Well, it's different in Bitcoin. Hold on, buy Bitcoin, hold the Bitcoin, get ready for shocks. We're a year out from the halving. So the question now becomes for this year, the theme will be, is the halving priced in? I don't know, but let's see what the other prices are as we run the numbers. That West Texas Earl seems to be rebounding today after the last two or three or four or five dismal last days for the energy markets. West Texas Intermediate is up 3.82% to $70.69. Brent North Sea up 3.1% to $74.85. Natural gas is still on its downward trend, four and a half points to the downside. $2.16 per thousand and gasoline is up 1.2%, $2.47 per gallon. Shiny metal rocks gleaming in the sun. Gold is up 0.65% to almost 2000 an ounce, 1994 and 90 cents. Silver is up 1.67%, platinum is up 1.15%, copper is up 2.12 and palladium is up two and a half points. Almost all agriculture stuff is in the green, except for sugar, which is the only loser at 0.72% to the downside. Biggest winner today is going to be cotton, 3.86% to the upside. Looks like I got live cattle up two and a half points, but lean hogs have fallen off 2.1% and feeder cattle are up 0.83%. Even the stock market is happy, ladies and gentlemen. Equities coming. Dow is up a half a point. S&P is up 0.89. NASDAQ is up 1.15. And the S&P mini is up 0.83%. What's money, real money doing? Nothing. $27,036.63. Talk about a holding pattern. My God, the volatility here is killing me, y'all. That's after 432,000 BTC have exchanged hands in the last 24 hours. Average transaction value, 1.22 BTC. Median transaction value, $91.82. Block times are 
very high today. 11 minutes and 26 seconds. <laughs> Yay. For ordinals. Yay. 0.53 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 66.4 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. We've had our difficulty adjustment. It did increase 3.21%. I'm reading 51.13 trillion hashes is the new difficulty. So there, there you go. Uh, Dogecoin. Oh, Doge holding strong for the shitcoin market. 7.2 United States pennies. That's representative of all the shitcoins, honestly. Uh, let's see. We got a $522.5 billion market cap. That is 3.93% of gold's market cap. You can purchase 13.6 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,389,830.71 of of in 5,358 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $144.4 million. We've got 71,254 payment channels and 63.9% of all of Lightning is being run over Tor. Looks like we are in for, okay, well, the, the estimated difficulty change doesn't mean dick right now because we just had the change last night or yesterday sometime. It's flashing negative 14.7% to the downside coming in June 14th, 2023. But I honestly, you got to wait about three or four days for that number to actually have anything to do with reality. And here's another reality. Your mempool is packed and stacked as usual. 200 and I don't know, 22 blocks carrying 302 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear. Low priority transaction pricing at 45 Satoshis per V-byte and 52 Satoshis per V-byte for your next block action. Act accordingly. I have been booted from the number 11 spot down to number 12. Ugh. Boostograms. Wartime Psycho with 10,000 Satoshis says, thank you. That was a great meetup message relay. I hope more people listening will regularly boost you to get their Bitcoin meetup messages out to more people. Affordable, easy, value for value network growth. I come back and I reply to him and say, anytime that you need a meetup shout out, just boost it to me. I don't care how much. I'll shill it because if I help you with your thing, maybe you'll help me shout out the podcast. NW with 1776. Ooh, it's a Patriot boost. Listen today while blazing over a trail, staring into the setting sun with wind trying to blow me off the face of the planet. Jazz interludes mixed with meadow larks. Have a good day, man. Yeah, you too, NW. You too. Nick underscore does 1369. Cheers. And Dubravko with a thousand Satoshi says, holy schnickies. Give the What Bitcoin Did podcast episode about the federal case against a Bitcoin nomad. <gasps> I'm shocked he mentioned he mentioned another podcast. Didn't I, I was forced to read the name of another podcast. No, I, I listened to Peter's podcast and I listened to the federal case against the uh, Bitcoin nomad that he's talking about. And it's brutal. It's ugly. It's evil. It's guided by corrupt, evil people. Uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name that's being prosecuted to the fullest extent of U.S. federal law, but it is a sad freaking story. I want to say his name's Roman. Maybe. I don't know. But still, it is a sad story. Anyway, he, Dubrovko, 
continues, the purpose of the system really is what it does. Also, this is the first time that I remember Warren Buffett losing a business battle. Does anyone remember another one? I'm sure that Warren Buffett has lost his fair share of battles. I don't think this is his first loss. I guarantee you that he's lost, he's won. He just happens to win more than he loses. I think that that's what's really going on. Now, Stefan Gornick, raking me over the coals with this one with a thousand sat says tether is a bank your keys give you access to the iou from them the vast nearly entire majority of their quote reserves are u.s treasuries which are only a single signature away from being made irredeemable and non-transferable by tether you know this no single mention of tether should not occur without that reminder steven you're right you're absolutely correct i don't trust tether I just don't. I never have. I never will. I just haven't seen them really screw the pooch. But time will tell. But yeah, I mean, they are sitting on a lot of paper, man. And a lot of that paper is U.S. Treasuries. As interest rates rise on an asset, then the asset's native value must go down. Unless you're the fucking housing market, in which case it's crazy out here. Just 7% or somewhere between six and a half and 7% mortgages on a half a million dollar home. Are you out of your mind? These are the same housing prices that I saw last year and the year before that. And they haven't budged. And by the math, they should. And that's what Stephen is saying here is that, well, the treasuries, they definitely react to rising interest rates on them. Their asset value goes down, which means that Tether doesn't have as much backing their claim as they said they do. So be careful out there with the, with the whole Tether thing. God's Death with 370 says, thank you again, sir. My morning listen every day. Well, thank you, dude. And Kvart Beerborn is also lambasting me for something that I said, I think. 250, Satoshi says, nobody is buying Bitcoin until all regulations are neatly in place. Once that's done, every financial institution will magically have a fat stack of BTC to sell to retail retailers for a juicy profit. Also, no nation state is building up a reserve. Shut up and keep walking. Well, that was rather rude. Maybe he wasn't talking to me. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Pies with 250 says, thank you. And Bitgus with 100 says, boost. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Now, we just got off of a boostagram talking about Tether. I got this one from Cointelegraph, Prashant Jha. He's writing about Tether. Tether market cap breaks all-time high. Binance CEO points at regulatory caps. The Tether stablecoin has hit. Yet a new all-time high market capitalization of over $83 billion as its market dominance continues. The new all-time high comes in a year when other stablecoin issuers struggle to stay afloat due to regulatory woes. The same was pointed out by cryptocurrency exchange Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao. In a tweet, CZ drew attention to Binance USD, the Binance-branded stablecoin issued by Paxos. The Binance CEO said BUSD, a fully regulated stablecoin, was capped by the New York Department of Financial Services at $23 billion and currently sits at a $5 billion market cap. And since then, USDT has seen tremendous growth. 
In February, the NYDFS ordered Paxos to stop any new issuance of BUSD, citing violations of security law. At a time when USDT has reached an all-time high market cap, its competitors such as Circle-issued USD coin and BUSD are struggling to maintain their market share. The second largest stablecoin, USDC's market cap, stands at $28.8 billion, a difference of over $50 billion to USDT. For context, at one point, USDC's market dominance was nearing that of USDT, with its market cap reaching an all-time high of $55.8 billion in June of 2022. The prolonged bear market of 2022 took its toll on both stablecoins, with declines in their market caps after the June 2022 highs. However, USDT has managed to bounce back with higher market dominance, while USDC's market cap has been cut almost in half. The prominent reason for the decline in the market share of the other stablecoins can be attributed to regulatory scrutiny by United States regulators and the United States banking crisis. After a ban on new minting of BUSD for security violations, its market cap dropped rapidly as users started to convert their BUSD to other stablecoin. Similarly for USDC, the major crisis came from the Silicon Valley bank collapse where the stablecoin issuer held about $3.3 billion of their reserves. This led to market panic and a subsequent depegging from the U.S. dollar. Although USDC regained its peg the very next day, it took a significant toll on its market cap, with many users converting their USDC to other stablecoins in fear of a total crash. What, I, what are you going to do? Are, do you use stablecoins? I kind of hope that, that you don't, they, because you don't need to, because you buy Bitcoin and you hold Bitcoin. That's the only path forward. Anything else means that you're trading and you're probably going to get your ass handed to you And if you're trading with leverage, your ass is going to be handed to you six feet under the ground when they bury you alive. That's how dangerous this shit is. Now, if you're using, you know, stablecoin, you know, like, like Strike uses uh, USDT. That's one of the ways that that's one of the ways they use it, that they do payment rails. Okay. They use lightning. They use tether. They, I God only knows they probably do use USDC. It doesn't matter. It's like, because a lot of that stuff is just for remittance. It's not people trading on leverage, you know, back in the days, like on BitMEX with a hundred X leverage on some kind of trade on some shit coin. There's, there's different use cases for all this stuff. If you're using it for trading, you're going to get your ass handed to you. If you're using it for remittance, yeah, I can forgive your ass. You know, you should just use Bitcoin in the Lightning Network. And then ARC, whenever ARC gets some legs underneath it and has a working model, we'll see if, if that alleviates some, some issues that are going on with Lightning Network. We'll have to see. But that's ARC, I think, is a lot further away than, than all of us think. We, you know, we keep thinking that it's going to be, you know, here tomorrow and we'll have a working model. But remember, when Lightning was released, it was released as a white paper, and we didn't see a working model of that for two years. So before you get too excited about what's going on with ARK, A-R-K, if you're interested, just, I don't know, Google ARK Bitcoin, and you'll probably find uh, some news stories about it because it's kind of heating up. I would keep my eye on it, but I wouldn't expect it to, you know, come anytime soon. We're doing another one from Bull, No Bullshit Bitcoin, NSEC Bunker, Noster Keys Delegation. So let's find out what's going on here. 
Insec Bunker, Bunker allows one to import your Nostra private keys to a secure, trusted environment and enforce various signing policies. Interested users can join the waitlist. Quote, the premise of Insec Bunker is that you can store Nostra private keys or insects, N-S-E-C-S, if you want to know what that is. Uh, use them remotely under certain policies, but these keys can never be exfiltrated from Insec Bunker. All communications with Insec Bunker happens through encrypted ephemeral Nostra events. Uh, the waitlist NIP07 is available at insecbunker.com. Insec, N-S-E-C-B-U-N-K-E-R, insecbunker.com. The project does not use NIP26. So here's how it works. Within Insec Bunker, there are two distinct sets of keys, user keys and Insec Bunker's key. User keys. The keys that users want to sign with, like your personal or your company's keys. These keys are stored encrypted with a passphrase, the same way Lightning Network's LND stores keys locally. Every time you start NSEC Bunker, you must enter the passphrase to decrypt it. Without this passphrase, the keys cannot be used. NSEC Bunker's key. Insect Bunker generates its very own private key, which it used solely to communicate with the Insect Bunker administration user interface. If these keys are compromised, no key material is at risk. To interact with Insect Bunker's administration UI, the administrator's keys must be whitelisted within Insect Bunker. All communication between the administrator and the Insect Bunker is end-to-end -end encrypted with these two sets of keys. Non-whitelisted keys simply cannot talk to NSEC Bunker's administration UI. All right, so <clears throat> this is sort of like when I use GitAlby, the uh, browser extension on my computer, uh, in my browser to manage my private and public key pair. This looks like it's taking it a step beyond insecurity. I'm excited to see this. Pablo is part of it, so he's probably built it. I he He's built... Pablo by himself has built so much. There's so many things that Pablo has single-handedly constructed in the Nostra world. If you have a chance, please, please, please go find Pablo F7Z, as in Z for all you guys across the pond, and give him a boost. The man is working hard. We're all working hard, but this guy is, he's sort of a thing of beauty. He's like a machine. He just keeps producing and producing and producing, and he deserves a little bit of love. Do that today on Noster. Binance is reevaluating its headcount as Bitcoin bear market drags on. You think? This is decrypt.co. Matt DeSalvo is writing it. Binance has said it is reevaluating its headcount, but would not confirm if it was cutting staff after rumors swirled on Twitter claiming the world's biggest crypto exchange was laying off employees. In an email to Decrypt today, the controversial company said in a prepared statement that it needed to focus on talent density and was not right-sizing, but rather reevaluating whether it had the right talent and expertise in critical roles. This reminds me of the meeting of the Bobs in the movie Office Space. And if you haven't seen that movie, you're missing out, dude. Binance added that it will be seeking to fill hundreds of open roles, but did not respond to Decrypt's other questions and would not elaborate further. 
Journalist Colin Wu's Wu Blockchain Newsletter said on Twitter on Wednesday that multiple sources have confirmed that Binance was already laying off staff. Quote, the layoffs may be related to the poor overall market and the large expansion before, Wu said in a tweet, adding that next month the exchange may lay off 20% of its staff. But Binance's chief of communications officer, Patrick Hillman, said in a tweet that the exchange was not cutting 20% of employees as a cost-cutting measure. Binance currently employs around 8,000 people around the globe. The company is the biggest crypto firm in the world and mainly works as a platform where customers can buy, sell, and even bet on the future price of a huge amount of digital assets. But it has run into trouble lately. Multiple U.S. regulators are investigating the firm, and a Reuters report last week claimed that the company had commingled billions of dollars of customer funds, citing unnamed sources, of course. <clears throat> Probably Bitfinex. Uh, the exchange claimed the reports were false. Of course they did. <clears throat> you know, mo honestly, when I say Bitfinexed, I'm talking about Bitfinex ED. And that's a dude on Twitter that absolutely has been going after Bitfinex for years, right? And it doesn't stop there. He goes after Binance. I think I remember him saying shit about Bitmex. He really hates Tether. So who knows, but somehow or another, he just, he's just never gone away. And it seems like he's got an even larger following because he just keeps shitting on all the companies. Be that as it may, chances are real good. Binance is actually looking to cut off 20% of its body to save costs. It's a bear market. And not only is it a bear market, ladies and gentlemen, it's the very dregs of a bear market. All right, I got in to Bitcoin during the very dregs of the bear market before last, right? It was just uh, 250, 200, 350, and it just went on and on and on. But I would never know because I didn't buy the top. I bought the very bottom and that was just sheer damn timing luck. All right, because I wasn't watching any of the other stuff before. It wasn't until 2015 that I really said, you know, I, I got I to gotta look at this. So that bear market doesn't count for me. So I get into my first bull market. It ends in 2017, you know, December 2017. And then, it's a, but I went through the, the block size war stuff and that was exciting and relatively painful. Uh, but then 2017, yeah, and then it just went down into a bear market. So that was my first bull run and then a first bear market. And then we had the second bull run that happened, you know, what, before November or whatever. Uh, was it, was it, you know, 2021, 2022, <clears throat> we had that run up to 68,500. And then it came crashing down again. So this is effectively my second bear market. But I'm seeing the exact same kind of quote unquote, I don't want to say disillusionment, but there's really kind of lack of a better word. It's the doldrums. It's the dog days of a bear market. It's the exhaustion phase. You didn't, I mean, it's like, honestly, you, you ride the roller coaster back down and it's almost as exciting as riding it up. But this is the part of the roller coaster that is the most boring. But it's also effectively like burning, setting the forest on fire. I've, I've said this many times about how forests every once in a while need to burn 
They don't need to burn to the ground. They just need to burn out all the trash that's underneath it. All the, I don't know, dead pine cones, dead branches that have fallen off trees. If the fuel load gets too high, then the fire gets too hot and it will burn down the forest and it'll kill all the trees. But a good old fashioned forest fire burning isn't really designed to do that. Trees are really resilient to heat. You got to be super, super hot. And that can only mean that you've got super huge amounts of fuel on the, on the ground. This is where we burn out all the deadwood. And maybe Binance has 20% deadwood. I don't know. I don't work for Binance, so I have zero idea what the hell's going on over there. But I I think this is true. I think they are going to cut staff. I think it's going to be somewhere between 15 and 20%. I hope none of my listeners out there are actually working for Binance right now. And if you are, you better be way hardcore, man. All right. Liquidators of Sam Bankman-Fried's Alameda Research have scavenged another $110 million of Bitcoin after losing billions of dollars. BTC Casey and Bitcoin Magazine, liquidators in charge of the recovery of assets for the now disgraced Alameda Research hedge fund founded by Sam Bankman-Fried, currently control over $110 million worth of Bitcoin held in various wallets, according to a report supplied by blockchain analysis firm Arkham Intelligence. These wallets have been receiving BTC from exchanges and cold wallets as recently as March 2023. Wow. The aggregation of these wallets provides insights into the liquidator's collection of BTC from Alameda's holdings. A recent transaction in April involved a 1BTC test from Alameda's merchant wallet. This BTC was later sent to a holding address now under the control of Alameda's liquidators known as Alameda Merchant One. Since the beginning of 2023, this address has accumulated 3,581 BTC, worth approximately $97 million at current prices. The report states that, quote, in total, Alameda's liquidators have managed to secure 4,083 BTC, which is about $111 million. Other Alameda wallets, there's one that has 34.9 BTC. Deribit has uh, 467 BTC. WBTC custodian has 200, no, 2,997. Bitfinex is holding 298 for them. And unlabeled wallets, possibly in exchange, is 286.7 BTC. Quote, however, this is only a fraction of the BTC that Alameda controlled in the past. The note replied, quote, <clears throat> wallets, connected to this network of Alameda's BTC activity were worth, at peak, over $800 million, with Alameda likely holding more BTC in centralized exchanges or unlinked cold wallets, end quote. Arkham Intelligence stated that it will continue to monitor on-chain activities of Alameda's liquidators. Okay, so there's, there are little pockets of Easter eggs hidden everywhere around Alameda. I expect that this is not going to be the last that we hear about it, but hopefully this is the last we ever hear about Jimbo's protocol. They're offering an $800,000 bounty to the public after the hacker that took their money ignores the deal. Ezra Reguera for Coin Telegraph. Decentralized finance platform Jimbo's protocol has offered 10% of the exploited funds to the general public after giving the hacker, hacker several days to respond to the deal. On May the 28th, the Arboretum-based DeFi app was exploited, resulting in a loss of 4,000 Ether. After taking advantage of the lack of slippage control on liquidity conversions, the exploiter was able to swipe assets worth around $7.5 million at the time. 
Following the hack, the team behind the exploited protocol attempted to negotiate with the hacker. The DeFi protocol offered 10% of the exploited funds as a bounty and threatened the hacker with, of course, prosecution. The team offered what they described as a fast $800,000 payday, but said if 90% of the funds are not returned, they won't stop until the hacker is behind bars. Good luck. After giving the hacker some time to respond, the protocol recently announced that it would extend the bounty offer to the general public. In a Twitter thread, the DeFi protocol announced that anyone who could provide information that leads to either catching the exploiter or recovering the funds would be eligible for a reward. That's all you need to know. The hacker's not given the money back. The hacker exploited yet another DeFi exchange. If you are using DeFi exchanges or anything that has any any thing that even looks like it's connected to Ethereum, DeFi, Solana, any, any of the DeFi stuff, you're going to lose your money. I don't know how else to say it to you. It was eight, what, how much? $800 million? <laughs> it's like 10% of the exploited funds is 800,000. All right, so 8 million. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, $8 million. That's, you know, for a small, you know, unknown Jimbo coin or whatever the hell they're calling it, that's a chunk of cash. And that cash came from who? Well, if you're a DeFi user and you're on the Jimbo coin protocol, then that was you. And you're not getting your money back. I'm sorry, but it's gone. You know who else is gone? Multi-chain CEO. No, seriously, decrypt uh, Pedro Salamano. Multi-chain cannot find its CEO as company loses access to its servers. <laughs> just, just buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin because multi-chain continues to run into problems now at the protocol level. Last week, rumors surfaced that Chinese authorities had arrested several multi-chain executives, including Chief Executive Officer Zhao Jun. Although the arrests still haven't been denied or confirmed by authorities, Binance was forced to respond to the news and suspend certain token deposits. Law enforcement officials are rumored to have taken control of $1.6 billion wallet belonging to the company, according to several Twitter accounts. This week's troubles began on Monday, according to multi-chain Twitter account, uh, which announced today that the protocol had experienced multiple issues due to unforeseeable consequences. That's in quotes. Despite the team's efforts to maintain the protocol, they said they were unable to reach CEO Zhao Jun in order to access key servers. Today's alert was prompted by issues with the network of nodes with multi-chain known as Router 5, affecting cross-chain services for several other blockchains. These blockchains are Keychain, Public Mint, DinoChain, Redlightchain, Dexit, Ecta, HPB, Onus, Omax, Fendora, and Plank, all of which are shit chains. The team has, rec- they didn't say that, I said that. The team has requested partners to stop calling smart contracts running on multi-chain, at least until they are able to obtain permissions and access the protocol service. Jesus, what a mess. Multi-chain known as AnySwap before it suffered a $8 million exploit back in 2021 is one of the largest blockchain bridges in crypto with total transaction volumes exceeding $100 billion earlier this year. The bridge facilitates the exchange of tokens across multiple networks, allowing for ecosystems such as Binance Chain, Avalanche, Polygon, and Ethereum to interact with one another. 
Connor Grogan, head of product at Coinbase, tweeted today's problems will affect only a small number of users, but I call bullshit, showcasing the low transaction output on the above mentioned networks. Uncertainty on crypto Twitter is growing, however, with rumors surfacing that Chinese cryptocurrency exchange Gate.io is also suffering liquidity issues. The company has officially denied the allegations, although they have provided no evidence on the matter. Despite today's news, multi-chain and native token, multi, hasn't been affected over the past 24 hours, with a 3.1% increase, changing hands at $4.13. Since last week's issues, however, the token has dropped nearly 19%, according to CoinGecko. Okay, multi-chain is a bridge that allows tokens from one chain to be able to, I guess, convert into tokens of another chain. What, what does that look like? Right, think of uh, one of those great big interstate, you know, pictures of an, the interstate system in the United States going through a major city where you've got the cloverleaf thing. You've got like a major interstate going east-west and it crosses a major interstate going north-south and there's this massive clover leaf so that you can get off of one from one direction and go in a different direction. That is a interchange and that's what this is. What is that interchange? It's a target. That's what that interchange is. If I wanted to really, really, really screw up traffic in the United States, I would bomb Every clover leaf where two major interest or interstate systems actually cross each other. I would bomb them into oblivion because you're going to screw up all traffic. It's a central point of failure. That's one of the other reasons. And I've got a bag, I've got a backpack full of reasons why you should what? Buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, and that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Thursday joke day, dad says jokes. I never understood why a set of false teeth is called dentures. They really missed an opportunity to call it substitutes. Uh, all right, uh, Colin, uh, for y'all's help. I need y'all's help. I need y'all's help really bad. If you can, you know, and you're not boosting the show and you're not streaming Satoshi's, I get it. Times are hard. I really do. But if you have time and you can scrape together a little bit of time, if you could go over to Apple Podcasts and give this podcast a five-star review and write something, write something, you know, something nice. If you like the show, if you like what I do, I need your help to continue to do it. This is just the way it is. And I, for the first time, I have reached out to a, po a potential sponsor. I'm not going to say who. But I have to do this. I've been doing this for four and a half years, totally free, right? And which is fine. I, I thought that that was enough street cred. You know, I, actually, I kind of thought two years was enough street cred, but I just, I just couldn't bring myself to, you know, to, to do that to y'all. At least, you know, I, I, you know, but I don't want to bring y'all really crappy sponsors. Right. I don't want to bring y'all. I'm not going to get into shit coinery. It's never going to happen. And I'm I'm not going to do DeFi stuff. I'm I'm and I'm not going to be shilling, you know, I don't know. I just, you you've listened to the show long enough to know what I 
preach, what I believe, right? The companies that I try to get to sponsor this show are going to be the people that I believe are the most ethical companies in the space. However, they're not going to support me if I don't have numbers. I think I've got enough numbers to get a couple of people interested in, but it's time to ramp this up, which is why I'm calling on you. Spread the word of the show. I will put a five, or I will put a, a link to the Apple podcast page where you can just, in the show notes, so that you can just click it and give me a five-star review. I've actually got quite a bit so far. I want more. I want to be able to show these people that, that, that their trust in me that the time value that they give me in so far insofar as support for this show will not be in vain. I need your help to do that. So if you have time today, please go over to Apple Podcast and give me a shitload of five-star reviews. Spread the podcast to your friends and family. Tweet it out. Do we call it note it out on Noster? Whatever. Throw it somewhere. Re, like when when I post it on Noster, renote it. Take a screenshot of it, a shot of it, and throw it over on, or copy the text off of it and throw it over directly on Twitter. If you're still one of the people that use Twitter, put it on Blue Sky. If you're using Blue Sky, put it on Blue Sky. I need your help. I wouldn't ask if I wasn't deadly serious about this. So take that into consideration. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and. And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.